Now let's hear our scripture reading for this morning, brought to you by NASA. Well, we are beginning a sermon series on the book of Genesis today. Uh, We're going to start on page one of your Bible, and I'd encourage you to find that so we can follow along today or find it on page one of your Bible app, if that's where you're reading this morning. Uh, The subtitle for the series on Genesis is Stories That Define. And I want to just say up front, when I say the word stories, I don't mean make-believe and I don't mean fairy tales. I mean true and explanatory. I mean true stories and explanatory. They tell us why and what and what's the purpose of our being here. And they also have relevance today. And I think we'll get to that point as we go through the message this morning. So in Genesis, we have this story of beginnings, of of how things came into being and what matters to God from the very beginning. But what's important and what we'll see throughout the whole working through the book of Genesis as we hit sort of the high points is that God is a God of plus blessing and promise. And we're going to see the, both of those things today and through this whole series. So I know we just heard it from the Apollo astronauts in 1968, but let me read just the first five verses again because uh, I think it's a little unclear uh, in the video. It's a little fuzzy. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. 
God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What you have from the very beginning is God taking, first of all, nothing and creating something, and then creating that something into orderly something. God taking chaos and making order out of it. That's what God does. God makes order out of chaos. God makes the world. God makes humans. God calls it good by the very final day of creation, day six, when he kind of puts humans in there. He calls the whole thing very good. And we can see already God's blessing in the book of Genesis. God's initial blessing within creation is life itself. He just blesses and blesses from the very beginning and opening pages of scripture. We see this blessing unfold and life is that initial blessing that God gives. And what's interesting is is you also see this perspective. uh, And I, I think this is why I started with the Apollo 8 clip. Both I think it's remarkable and, and actually in the comment section, uh, as you're watching today, comment on this. What's your favorite uh, memory of humans going to space? What, I mean, a lot of us, it's, we have these great memories of watching it on TV or even being there. What's your greatest memories of, of memory of humans going to space? I remember the first time I saw this video a number of years ago, I was just captivated. Uh, as they come around and you see the sort of earth rise around the moon and they're reading these opening words, from Genesis. But what's interesting is, I think both the perspective of this video and the perspective of the opening words of Genesis as it moves through the story of creation, uh, we need to notice a trend. So they start from far away, they're at the earth, or moon, and they're coming closer to the earth as they read this, but so too is God coming closer to his creation as he puts more of it together and creates order out of chaos. And I think Genesis illustrates that so well as it tells the story of creation, of God not being a faraway God, but a close-up God, and coming closer and closer with each step of what he creates. He blesses, and part of the blessing is his presence that he's giving as well. And you can see also in the Apollo 8 uh, uh, video that we saw, it's from 1968, it's not the final of the Apollo missions, right? It's partway through the Apollo missions. What were they trying to do? They were trying to go around the moon on that specific mission, but that wasn't the end of what they wanted. The end of what they wanted was to land on the moon and have somebody walk on the moon. There was a desire with each of those missions uh, to gain more knowledge, to go farther in distance, to be challenged, to grow in their knowledge and abilities. And I want us to hold that in, in mind as we look at both the creation and as we look at Genesis, because God created Eden and put humans there. Eden itself means delight is what it means. God created a place that was supposed to be enjoyable for humans to exist and be. But I think as you read the story, it's, it's both implicit in the story itself and it's even in the commands that God's desire, desire wasn't just that he would create two people that would stay the same way forever and ever. God had something, God had growth for them even in Eden. God never had sin in mind. God had growth for them. There was going to be more. They were going to grow more into the image of God through uh, their relationship with God and through the sort of the trust and the sort of the commands that God gave them. And so I want to rattle through as we kind of talk through this, I want to rattle through six truths that we can see from the opening pages of uh, the Bible from Genesis 1 and 2. And I'm going to go through them fairly quickly, uh, but here they are. Some truths. 
First of all, it is God's nature to bless. That's who God is. God is a God who blesses. That's what he's doing from the beginning of creation, both with creating itself, uh, with creating life, with blessing with his presence, all of that. God is a God who blesses by nature. That's his character. Second thing I want to point out as a truth is that what God has given is supposed to be cared for and enjoyed both. That's in the commands that God gives. Third that I want to point out is we don't deserve what God has given at all. None of us deserve life. None of us deserve uh, God's presence even. God gave those as gifts. We have to keep that in perspective. Fourth is God deserves our praise and worship, but God doesn't need our praise and worship. God is complete without creating humans. God is complete without human praise and worship. That's something that we need to do. That's part of our response and our thanks and our growth in relationship with God is praise and worship. God created because God wanted to, not because God was lacking something. God already had everything he needed before he created anything. He created because he's creative and he blesses and he gets excited. For some reason, God gets excited by us and by interacting with humans that he created. Fifth, truth. So we can go through those. God's nature is to bless. There's the first one. What God has given is to be cared for and enjoyed. We don't deserve what God created. Fourth is God. Uh, God deserves our praise and worship, but does not need it. Fifth truth I want to rattle off is that God bestowed humans with his image. And we'll say more on that in just a moment. We're created in the image of God. Now, we also have to put in uh, there as a big giant asterisk next to it, almost bigger than the first point, is that uh, we messed that up pretty quickly. Um, so there, we are created in the image of God. We retain some of that, but there's been some brokenness along the way and vandalism. So some of what God intended is there, and some of what God intended has been messed up. We don't carry uh, the pure image of God in any of us anymore. And sixth, God trusted humans. Let's land here for a moment. God trusted humans. This is a remarkable thing as you look at the opening pages of Genesis. If you go to chapter 1, verse 27, it reads this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. You can see there two commands right away that God gives, the first two commands. One is be fruitful and multiply. It's remarkable that God entrusted us as co-creators, in a sense. Right? He created humans. They're sort of the capstone of creation. Don't get a big head over that. We're the capstone of creation, but God then in his creativity has imbued us in his image with that same level of creativity and joy in creating. And God says, these humans, I love them. I love you too. Now make more. 
make more and fill the earth. And by doing that, there's going to be change that happens. There's, there's going to be growth that occurs through that, through the relationship that humans will have with God and with one another as they create community and family. That's the first way that God shows trust right away. And then second, he says, now take care of this place. I created it with care. I put you in as my image bearers who are supposed to be my ambassadors to take care of this place with care. That's the language that's being used there. You're not supposed to take care of it as you would. You're supposed to take care of it as I would as my uh, vice regents or stewards or caretakers or all kinds of fancy words get used there. But it gets even more, there's even more trust that God puts in. If you go to chapter 2, verse 19, where it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals, all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man, whatever the man called each living creature was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. Now, I'll ask you this, and I can't hear your answer, but did God give uh, any, say, well, I've got veto power over some of your names? I mean, there are occasions where maybe we wish there would be veto power over some animal names, or we wonder why certain animal names were there. But God said, you name them, you take care of them. I've, I've given you that charge. And you're going to have some ownership because you've named them. They're, they're yours to take care of. They belong to me, but I want you to be my stewards. Now, here's a question before we move on. Uh, consider this, and I want both grown-ups and kids to answer this uh, in the comment section. What's your favorite animal, and what would you rename it if you could? Right? God gave the power to Adam right there in the garden. You name the animals. What would you name an animal this morning? Love to see some kid answers on this one. But here's the thing. With all that trust, what do we do with it as humans? Well, we broke it. When we broke it fairly quickly, it doesn't give us the time frame, but it appears that it happens very quickly within the story. God gave order out of chaos, and God said, you're going to be my co-creators, you're going to be my caretakers of all that I've made, and instead of just doing that, we tried to step over the line and become like God. We try to turn it in on ourselves is what we try to do. What does broken trust look like? Well, if we're remembering our truths, we're created by a God who blesses and who gives life because he loves, because he blesses, because that's his character, not because he needs it. He gave it because when we break that trust of God, and this is just a short list, no, by no means exhaustive, uh, but we turn God's blessing into things like selfishness, Right, where we actually put ourselves on the throne as God. That's really what sin is. Uh, we turn into entitlement. Right? We start to think, well, if I am the capstone of creation and God gave me all of this to take care of, maybe I really am that important. Maybe even more important than God. Maybe I deserve all of this stuff and a whole lot of other things. Greed certainly comes into the picture where we try and steal from God. Destructive behavior towards God's creation, not where we use it responsibly and well, but where we misuse it. And, and that goes for, you know, from trees to squirrels to the way we treat other humans. That's how we break God's trust. But that broken trust is probably most on display, I think, when we do all of those things, and yet... We try and blame others as if we're not a part of the problem. 
We try and say something simple like, well, if Eve just wouldn't have eaten the apple, everything would have been okay. It was all her fault. Or if Adam, who seems to have been within earshot of all of this, would have just spoken up, maybe everything would be different now. If those two just didn't mess it up, we'd be okay. Or, you know, if those people would just stop doing that thing, then the world would change and be better. If, if, if they did what I did, because I'm right. Right? We start to put ourselves in the seat of God very easily. Not culpable, of course, it's everybody else's fault, but our own. And yet, that's not the truth. The good news is, God is a God of blessing even in spite of that. The good news is, that intent that God had for humans from the beginning is something God is still going to realize and redeem if we'll only say yes to that. God gave life from the very beginning to be cherished as a gift, not a right. God made us in his image from the very beginning, and yes, we have messed that up profoundly. We have vandalized God's image in us, and the effects of sin have vandalized God's image in us. Somehow within humanity, God created us, male and female, to somehow in that fullness reflect his image. God is neither male nor female. He transcends that, but he created us and said, those two things put together, they seem to match my image pretty well. God gave us uh, different skin color and hair color. Those seem to show his character and his image as well. And yet, there's brokenness within that image that needs to be redeemed. But we have to start at the fact that we're made in the image of God. We have to understand that first and foremost, even though that image is broken. And this is all relevant to us because I don't know about you, but the last couple weeks have been rough. The last couple weeks have been hard. The incident with George Floyd just a couple of weeks ago, that was wrong. And that's one of many tragedies that reveals the broken image of God all around us. It's one of the many tragedies that shows that specific tension around race as well as other issues. And we need to grieve and lament the brokenness that's there. We don't need to vilify or convey sainthood to Mr. Floyd to know that this was a tragedy, right? We certainly need to discuss important things that need to change, legislative changes, protocols and policing, discuss things like Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, discuss uneven and broken systems. All those need to be discussed because they are broken. There are a lot of things that are wrong in the world. But at the heart of it all, the fix for it all is a kingdom of God fix, not a human fix when it comes down to it. And Genesis sets us up for the starting point of that conversation. Without Genesis, without what God established in the beginning and the intent that God started, we don't get anywhere in that conversation. Mr. Floyd had a mixed record of helping at-risk youth and gangs in Houston, as well as some criminal history. News media has done a good job of highlighting both of those things. But a quote from George Floyd's pastor, I think, gives us the right place to begin a conversation in brokenness like this and matters of this nature. His pastor from Houston, Pastor Patrick Ingualo, said, quote, the fact that you have to build a narrative for a man to be loved and given justice is repulsive to me. Even if he was a capital criminal, he deserved to be treated as someone created in his image, unquote. We can't even approach a fix to the problems, the injustices, the inequities, and everything else that's broken in this world 
let alone have a productive conversation about race or any other injustice without the foundation of Genesis 1, that God formed us in his image. But I want to stress as well that this sometimes, we get stuck on this point. There's more. There's not just the blessing of that image-bearing nature. What God did by creating two humans in Eden wasn't the end result. They were never intended to sin, but they were intended to be fruitful and multiply. The very fact that God wanted them to populate this place that he created and enjoy and care for, it means that there was always something more in God's plan and intent than simply to have two people living out their lives, enjoying the fruit of the garden except for that one tree. There was something more. We were not intended to sin. We were intended to become the fullness of God's image and glory. Not to become gods, but to reflect that in the best possible way. Now, God set forth a plan to redeem what was broken through Jesus Christ, and it's through Jesus Christ that we can be transformed and redeemed to be that glory and that image of God fully transformed and redeemed. We are supposed to go uh, from the image of God to the fullness of Christ, is what I'm saying. As Paul says in Colossians 3, and this is both promise and challenge to us, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And church, we need to do that with one another in the church right now, especially to bear with one another right now. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. It's entirely possible for us to put on some of those things, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, to some degree, on our own. But without Jesus Christ redeeming us and his transformative power working in us, we can't achieve that. We can't be the fullness and redeemed image of God again without Jesus Christ working in and through us. That's what Paul's telling us. We are made in the image of God. That image was broken. God set forth a plan to redeem that image. It's only through Jesus Christ that that happens. In a moment, we're going to hear from our confirmation students on, uh, in an interview that they did with me uh, over the last week. And you hear testimony of people who have chosen to devote themselves to the study of Scripture. And with that comes, hopefully, a lifelong transformation that goes into becoming like Jesus Christ because they've devoted themselves not simply to the words of the page, but to the God of the page, to Jesus Christ himself and his transformative power. See, we're supposed to grow to become like Jesus. That's the restored image of God that was set up from the beginning and has been broken. And as we choose Jesus Christ and that transformative power, we grow over time, step by step, to be redeemed into that image. And when we choose Jesus, we become like Jesus. We also then start to see the value of humans created in God's image. But we also recognize the need to do away with sin, the effects of sin, and the sometimes accidental, sometimes intentional act of not trusting God with our actions. The more we turn to Christ and are transformed by him into the redeemed image of God, the more we recognize the problems of the world and can work as his hands and feet to help for the redemption of the world.